0: chapter ten of cradock Knoll a tale of the new forest volume two by richard doddridge blackmore this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by lynn thompson chapter ten cradock nowell shivered hard partly from his cold and partly at the thought of the bitter life before him he had amy's five and sixpence left an immutable peculium, in currency his means were limited to exactly four and ninepence with the accuracy of an upright man even in the smallest matters he had forced upon mr o'toole his twopence the quaternary of that letter also he had insisted upon standing stout when thirst increased with oysters now he took the shillings four, having lost all faith in his destiny, and put one in each of his waistcoat pockets, for he had little horseshoes upwards, as well as the straight chinks below. This being done, he disposed of his ninepence with as tight a view to security. All that day he wandered about and regretted his up. Towards nightfall, he passed a railway terminus. Miserably lighted a disgrace to any style of architecture teeming with insolence pretence dirt discomfort fuss and confusion Let us call it the grand Junction wasting and screwing line because among railway companies. The name is generally applicable In a window never cleaned since the prorogation of Parliament the following notice tried to appear and if you rub the glass you might read it wanted immediately a smart active young man of good education his duties will not be onerous wages one pound per week uniform allowed apply to mr Kilquick next door to the booking office cradock read this three times over for his wits were dull now and then he turned round and felt whether all his money was safe yes every blessed halfpenny for he had eaten nothing since the oysters. "'Surely I am an active young man of good education,' said Craig to himself, "'although not very smart, perhaps, especially as to my boots. "'But a suit, or all uniform allowed, will cure my only deficiency. "'I could live and keep weena comfortably upon a pound a week. "'I hope, however, that they cash up, railway companies have no honour i know but i suppose they pay when they can't help it having meditated with himself thus much he went growing excited on the way for now he was no philosopher to the indicated whereabouts of that lion's factotum mr Kilquick here he had to wait very nearly an hour mr Kilquick being engaged as usual in the company's most active department arranging very effectually for a collision down the line successfully i would have said but though the accident came off quite according to the most sanguine or sanguinary expectation the result was a slur on that company's fame only three people being killed and five-and-twenty wounded "'Now, young man,' said Mr. Kilquick, when all his instructions were on the wires, "'what is your business with me?' Craddock having stated his purpose, name, and qualifications, the traffic manager looked at him with interest and reflection. Then he said impressively, "'You can jump well, I should think.' "'I have never yet been beaten,' Crad answered. "'But of course there are many who can beat me.' "'And run, no doubt.' and your sight is accurate and your nerves very good my nerves are not what they were sir but i can run fast and see well why do you shiver so that will never do and the muscles of his calf are too prominent we lost number six through that it is only a little cold i have caught it will go off in a moment with regular work you have no relation i suppose in any way connected with the law no friends i mean of litigious tendencies oh no i have no friend whatever none i mean in london only one family far in the country to care at all about me no father or mother to make a fuss eh no wife to prevent your attending to business no sir nothing of the sort i am quite alone in the world and my life is of no importance wonderful luck muttered mr kilquick exactly the thing for us and i have been so put out about that place it has got such a reputation poor morshead cannot get through the work any longer by himself and the coroner made such nasty remarks if we kill another man there before easter the times will be sure to get hold of it young man he continued in a louder tone you are in luck this time i believe it is a very snug situation only you must look sharp after your legs and be sure you never touch spirits not given to blue ruin i hope oh no i never touch it that's right i was afraid you did you look so down in the mouth you can give us a reference i suppose yes to my landlady mrs ducksacre a most respectable person in trade in mortimer street good replied mr kilquick you mustn't be alarmed by the way by any foolish rumours you may hear as to dangers purely imaginary your predecessor lost his life through the very grossest carelessness you are as safe there as in your bed unless your nerves happen to fail you and when that is the case i should like to know asked the traffic manager indignantly which of us is not in danger even in coming downstairs what will my duties be then asked cradock with some surprise why you are not afraid are you mr kilquick looked at him contemptuously no i should rather hope not replied cradock meeting him eye to eye so that the wholesale smasher quailed at him there is no duty even in a powder mill which i would shrink from now ah terrible things those powder mills a perfect disgrace to this age and country their wanton waste of human life how the legislature lets them go on so is more than i can conceive why they think no more of murdering and maiming a dozen people please sir cried one of the clerks coming down from the telegraph office no end of a collision on the slayman and berry branch three passengers killed and twenty five wounded some of them exceedingly fatally bless my heart if i didn't expect it told sykes it would be so how's the engine jemmy she's all right sir jumped over three carriages and went ahead her into a sandhill driver cased in glass from vitrification of the sand stoker took the hot water a thing he ain't much accustomed to no what a capital joke hell-fire jack i can swear it was him preserved in a glass case from the results of his own imprudence i shall be up with you in five minutes james be quite ready to begin now said mr kilquick drawing out his cigar-case i have little more to say to you young man except that you can begin at eight o'clock to-morrow morning we will dispense with the references for i have the utmost confidence in you and you will be searched very carefully every time you come out of the gate which you never will be allowed to do except when your spell is over and your mate is in You will go at once to our outfitters and upon presenting this ticket They will fit you up as tightly as possible with your regimentals and see that you don't take boots But the very best shoes for jumping in what they call Oxford shoes are best when tied tight over the instep And not too thick in the sole no nails mind for fear of slipping upon the flange Goodbye my boy be very careful By the by you say you don't value your life? very little indeed said cradock except just for one reason then now you must add another reason you must value it for our sake the company can't have another inquest for at least six months i mean of course by the same coroner confound that fellow he will not take a right view of things at eight o'clock to-morrow morning you will be at the gate of the Cramjam goods station the clerk there will have his orders about you he will supply you with a book and map out for you your duties also morshead your mate an invaluable man will show you the practical part of it now good-bye my lad remember you never wear any except your official dress we allow you two suits in the twelvemonth your duties will be of a refined character and the exercise exhilarating I trust to receive a good report of you and I hope my boy that you are at peace both with God and man Even mr. Kilquick had been touched a little by Craddock's air of uncomplaining sorrow and the stamp of high mind and good breeding Very foolish of me he muttered as he lit his cigar and went up to telegraph to the slam station master commit yourself to nothing Observe the strictest economy and no bonfires of the splinter wood as they had last week Very foolish of me he said on the stairs, but it goes to my heart to kill that young fellow How I should like to know his history that face does not mean nothing Craddock caring very little what his duties might be and feeling the night wind go through his heart Hastened to the outfitters and there he was received with a grin by an experienced shopman on the production of his note capital customers sir he said famous customers of ours that grand junction wasting and screwing line and the best of all for the gentleman in your way of business sir Must have new clothes every new hand and they changes pretty often sir Provides all the comforts of a home for you and a gentlemanly competence before you've been half a year with them the man grinned still more at his own grim wit while cradock stared at him in wonderment don't you see sir they can't pass the clothes on after the man has been killed even if there's a bit of them left for they must fit you like your skin sir the leastest little wrinkle sir or the ruffle of a hinch, or so much as the fray of a hem and there you are sir and they have to look for another hactive young man sir "'and active young men are getting shy, sir, "'uncommon shy of it now, except they come from the country. "'Hope you insured your life, sir, before taking the situation. "'There's no company will accept your life now, sir. "'What a nice young man the last were! "'What a nice young man, to be sure! "'Outrageous fond of filberts! "'Till they cracked him and found a shell for him!' "'Well,' said Craddock, whom the busy tailor had been measuring all this while from all that you tell me there would be less imprudence in ordering my coffin than tomorrow's dinner What is there so very dangerous in it? Well you'll see sir you'll see I would not frighten you for the world because it's all up in the moment if you lose your presence of mind Thank you sir all right now except the legs of the tights and that's the most particular part of it all May I trouble you to turn your trousers up it will never do to measure over them We shall put six hands on at once at the job the whole will be ready at eleven this evening You must kindly call and try everything we are ordered to insist upon that The next morning crad in a suit of peculiar tough and yet most elastic cord, which fitted him as if he had been dipped in it walked in at the open gates of the front yard leading to the cram general goods terminus this was the only way in or out except along the metals and as it was got up with heaps of stucco all the porters were very proud of it and called it a slap-up archway stop stop cried a sharp little fellow gurgling up like a fountain from among the sham pilasters what's your business here my man on the premises of the grand junction wasting and screwing company ah i see by your togs just come this way if you please then here let me call a little halt for time enough to explain that the more fashionable of the railway companies have lately agreed that a station yard is a sort of royal park which cannot be kept too private which no doors may rashly open upon a pleasant rural solitude and weed nursery for the neighbourhood, and wherein the senior porter has his private mushroom bed. They are wise in this seclusion and wholesome is their privacy, so long as they discard all principle, so long as they are allowed to garrot us while they jabber about public interests. Perhaps ere very long we shall have a modern deedless, and then the boards of directors so ready to do collectively things which done individually no gentleman would own to may abate a few jots of their arrogance and have faint recollections of honor cradock not very deeply impressed by the compo arch about half the size of the stone one at noelhurst hall's chief entrance presented himself to the sharp little fellow and told him what he was come for glad to hear it said the gateman uncommonly glad to hear it moore's Head is a wonderful fellow there is not another man in england could have stuck to that work as he has done he ought to have five pounds a week that he ought instead of a single sovereign. screwing company that was their common name will be sorry when they have lost him now your duty is to enter in this here book the number of every truck jerry trod or blinkham tarpaulin or covering of every sort also the destination chalked on it and the nature of the goods in the truck so far as you can ascertain them coals iron chalk packing cases boxes crates crates what not so fast as they comes into the higher end or so fast as they goes out of it you return this book to the check office every time you come off duty you begin work at eight in the morning and you leave at eight in the evening you don't pass here meanwhile and you can't pass up the line Hope you've brought some grub you'll have five minutes in the afternoon long enough to get a snack in after the up goods for millstone is off Oh, you ought to have brought some grub if you faint you'll never come to again But perhaps more Ted can spare you a bit. He'll be glad to see you that's certain for he ain't slept a wink for a week and Such a considerate chap. I enter you in and out number taker 26 That's all right from your cap my lad No room for it on your sleeve might stick out you know and you must pack tighter than any of the goods is Undertakers we call you always Goodbye, sir moorshead will tell you the rest and I hope to see you all right at 8 p.m The first day is always the worst go in at that door by the pickford And Ask the first porter you see for morshead and take care how you get at him Morshead was resting for a moment upon a narrow piece of planking amid a regular seven dials of sidings points and turntables Craddock could scarcely see him for trucks and vans and boxes on wheels were gliding past in every direction thick as the carts on London Bridge creaking groaning ricketing lurching thumping up against one another and then recoiling with a heavy kick straining upon coupling chains butting against bulkheads staggering and jerking into grooves and out of them crushing flints into a shower of sparks doing anything and everything except standing still for a moment and among them rushed about like dragons, ramping and routing and swearing fearfully gargling their throats with a boiling riot and then goring the ground with tusks of steam whisking and flicking their tails and themselves in and out of the countless crosswebs screaming and leaping and rattling and booming the great ponderous giant goods engines every man was outswearing his neighbor every truck browbeating its fellow every engine out-yelling its rival there is nothing on earth to compare with this scene unless it be the jostling and churning of ice packs in davis's straits when the tide runs hard and a gale of wind is blowing and the floes have broken up suddenly and even that comparison fails because though the monsters grind and crash and labor and leap with agony they do not roar and vomit steam and swear at one another at the risk of his life for as yet he knew nothing of the laws that governed their movements a very imperfect code by the by craddock made his way to the narrow staging where head was taking a breathing time. His fellow number taker, of course, descried him coming, for he had acquired the art of seeing all around as a spider is falsely supposed to do. He knew in a moment by Craddock's dress what business he was meant for, and he said to himself, Thank God in one breath for the sake of his wife and family, and oh poor fellow, in the next, as he saw how green our Craddock was. Then he held up his hands for Craddock to stop and waved them for him to run, and so piloted him to the narrow knife board where a man's life was his own almost. The highest and noblest of physical courage is that which, fully perceiving the danger, looking into the black pit of death and seeing the night of horrors there, undivested of horror by true religion, encounters them all treads the narrow cord daily not for the sake of honor or fortune But because of the dash in it and the excitement to a brave soul not even to win the heart's maiden That pearl of romance and mystery, but simply to supply the home to keep in flow the springs of love Whence the geyser heat is gone to sustain and comfort without being comforted by them the wife whose beauty is passed away and who may have taken to scold and the children, whose chief idea of daddy is that he has got a halfpenny. This glorious, inglorious courage, grander than any that ever won medal or cross for destroying, had a little home, though he knew it not and never thought about it, in the broad, well-rounded bosom of simple Stephen Moore's head. None but himself knew his narrow escapes. An inch the wrong way, and he was a dead man fifty times a day and worst of all in the night oh in the horrible night and yet more in the first gleam of morning when the body was worn out and dreams came over the eyes but were death if they passed to the brain and the trucks went by like nightmares that very morning he had felt after taking duty night and day for more than a week since they killed his partner he had felt that his sally must be a widow and his seven children orphans if another night went over him without some relief of sleep that every word of this is true many a poor man would avouch if he only had time and the money to read it and were not afraid but few rich men will care to swallow fat so indigestible Stephen Moreshead was astonished at seeing that his mate was come none of the men in the goods station would have anything to do with it it was very well to be up in the trucks or upon the engines or even to act as switchman for you had a corner inviolable and could only do mischief to others but to run in and out and through and through in that perpetual motion to be bound to jot down every truck the cover and contents of it entering or departing from that crammed and crowded terminus to have nobody to help you therein and nobody to cry dead man if you died and the certainty that if you stood a hair's breadth out of the perpendicular or a single wheel had a bunion you with the notebook in your hand must flood the narrow ways and find your way out underneath to heaven all this and the risk of the fearful jumps from one sliding train to another sliding oppositely and jerking perhaps as you jumped and yet if you funk the jump you must be crushed like a frog beneath a turf-beater these considerations after many pipes were smoked over them had induced all the porters and stokers to dwell on the virtues of many men killed and to yield to their wives entreaties acquiesce in their sixteen shillings nor aspire to the four shillings charon fare now said morshead shake hands with me as cradock breathless with running wonder leaped upon the nine-inch gangway i see you belongs to a different hoarder of society obliged to keep my eyes open mate but as long as you and i works together i ask it as a favour of you to shake hands night and morning with the greatest pleasure said cradock if you think there's room for our funny bones, ha ha laughed morsehead you are the right sort for it not a bit o i see now i mustn't stop to talk just follow me and do as i do i can put you up to it in six hours and then if you can spare me for the other six twill be the saving of the little ones but tell the truth if you're tired i should scorn myself if harm came to you you are the bravest man i ever met said cradock with his heart rising you cannot expect me to be like you but you shall not find me a coward i can see it by your eyes lad no sparkle but a glowing like i can always tell by the eyes of a man how long he will last at his work now come along o' me and i'll show you the nine worst crushing places cradock followed him through the threads threads of clotho and atropos feeling the way with his legs like a gnat who overs the posts of a spider's web in and out with a jump here and there when the two sideboards threatened to shear them they got to the gorge at the entrance where the main turmoil of all was The simple glades were a joke to it and all because the screwing company would not buy land enough to get elbow room There are several lines of railway which do a much larger business There is no other which attempts to do so much upon less than four times the acreage I've tuttled all them as a going out mr. Moreshead informed Cradock. now you'll see how we enters them as they enters Laughing at his own very miserable joke. He leaped on the chains of the passing wagons and held up his hand for Craddock not to attempt to do the same Takes a deal of practice that he cried after he had crossed the train It ain't like a passenger train you know and you must learn when they are standing I need not to have done it now, but sometimes I be forced bide where you are no danger unless they comes with the flaps down then he jotted down with surprising quickness all the necessary particulars of the train that was coming in it happened to be an easy one for there were no tarpaulins at all and it was not travelling faster than about four miles an hour some drivers there is said morshead as he rejoined cradock round the tail of the train who really seem to want to kill a fellow they come by at such a pace without having any call for it I believe they think the low fools that we are put as spies upon them, and they would rather kill us than not Hold your tongue to a man in a truck who was interrupting his lecture don't you know better than to offer me that stuff Never touch what they offers you sir they means no harm, but you would safer take poison when you be on duty There's not much real danger just here if a fellow is careful because the rails run parallel There is nothing round the curve now. I see and only two coming out and both of they be scored It's a rare chance to show you the figures of eight and slide points where the chief danger is Show you where poor Charlie was killed last week and how he did it Poor fellow did he leave any family? Twelve in all no man comes here unless he be tired of his life or be drove to it by the little ones And what did the company do for them? Oh behaved most handsome for them, allowed em two bob a week for twelve months to come, two pence apiece all round, but they only did it to encourage me, for fear I should funk off. I've seen out three mates now. Please God I shan't see you out too, my lad. If you do, it shan't be from funk, head I rather like the danger. That's the worst thing of all, replied Stephen. I beg of you not to say that, sir. A Thoroughly brave man almost always has respect for order the bold man which means a coward with jumps in him Generally has none it was strange to see how Stephen Moreshead in all that crush and crash and rattle That swinging and creaking as of the hellespontic boat bridge mixed deference with his pity for Craddock He saw from his face and air and manner that he was bred a gentleman Shall we ever come? or rather the twentieth generation come to the time when every man of england but for his own fault shall be bred and trained a gentleman in the true and glorious sense of it cradock saw the fatal places where the sleepers still were purple where danger ran in converging lines where a man must stand sideways like a duellist and with his arms in like a drill sergeant's and not shrink an inch from the driving wheels where his size was measured as for his coffin and if he stirred he would want nothing more then if a single truck flap were down if an engine rollicked upon the rail if a broad north-country truck overreaching happened to be in either train when you were caught between the two your only chance was to cry good god and lie upon your side and straighten all your toes out And yet these were the very places where most of all the number-taker was bound to have his stand Where alone he could contrive to check two trains at once Could they help starting two trains at once poor crad asked himself for he had found no time to ask it before When weary to the last fiber with the work of the day he fell upon his little bed and could hardly notice wiener Perhaps they could not it was more than he knew only he knew that if they could they were but wanton manslaughterers After a deep sleep all in his clothes He awoke the next morning quite up for his work and Moorshead, who had been on duty all night and whose eyes seemed cut out of cardboard Only stayed for an hour with him and then feeling that Crad was quite up to the day work ran home and snored for ten hours as loud as phlegethon or Enceladus The most fearful thing for a new hand was of course the night work and Stephen Moreshead Delighted to have such a mate at last had begged to leave Craddock the day spell at least for the first three weeks for to Stephen the moon was as good as the Sun and Sweet sleep fell like wool when plucked at and hushed the tramping steeds of the day God only for the sake of Stephen's eyes on whose accuracy hung the life poise it was absolutely necessary not to dilate the pupils incessantly But cradock never took night work there and the change came about on this wise Weena felt that she was wronged by his going away from her every day so early in the morning And not coming home to her again till ever so late at night And then too tired to say a word or perhaps he didn't care to do it like all females of any value unless they are really grand ones and if such there be pleased to keep them away Weena grew jealous desperately She might as well be anybody else's dog and the Baker's dog was with his master all day And the butcher's lady dog a nasty ill-bred thing the idea of calling her a lady Why even she was allowed though the selfish thing didn't care for it unless there was suet on his apron to jump up at him and taste him all the time he was going for orders and then look even at the ducksacre dog a despicable creature his father might have been a bull terrier or he might have been a pomeranian or a quarter-bred sky or the lord knows who very likely a turnspit and his mother oh the less we say of her the better why that wretched lop-eared split-tailed thing without an eye fit to look out of had airs of his own and what did it mean she would like to know and she who had formed some nice acquaintances dogs that had been presented at court and got eau de cologne every morning and not a blessed runaway upon them why it meant simply this that spot filthy plague spot Was allowed to go out with the baskets and made a deal of by his owners and might cock his tail with the best of them While she black wiener who had been brought up so differently Here her feelings were too much for her and she put down her soft flossy ear Upon the drugget scrap and looked at the door Despairingly and howled until mrs. Ducksaker was obliged to come up and comfort her Even then she wouldn't eat the dripping From that day she made her mind up she would watch her opportunity What was the good of being endowed with such a nose as she had unless she could smell her master out? Even through the streets of London What did he wear such outlandish clothes for very likely on purpose to cheat her very likely? He was even keeping some other dog at any rate she would know that if it cost her her life to do it what good was her life now to her or anybody else hey ho on the following saturday when craddock was gone to his fifth day's work what does weena do when mrs ducksacre came up on purpose to coax and make much of her but most ungratefully give her the slip with a skill worthy of a better purpose than scuttle down the stairs all four legs at once in that sort of a bone slide which domestic dogs acquire miss ducksacre ran out of the shop at the noise for this process is not a silent one but she could only cry oh lord as wena with the full impact of her weight multiplied into her velocity or if that is wrong with the cube of her impetus multiplied into the forty-two stairs bang she came anyhow back foremost against the young ladies nay you there i said lower limbs and deposited her in a bushel of carrots just come from covent garden stop her joe for god's sake stop her miss ducksacre cried to the shop-boy as well as she could for the tail of a carrot which had gotten between her teeth blowed if i can miss the boy responded as wena nipped his fingers for him the next moment she was free as the wind and round the corner in no time oh dear oh dear cried polly ducksacre a buxom young lady with fine black eyes whatever will mr newman think of us it will seem so unkind and careless and he does love that dog so polly was beginning to entertain a tender regard for cradock especially since he had shown his proportions in them beautiful buff pantaloons what a greengrocer he would make to be sure so upright and so lordly like and she'd like to see the man in the garden who would tell her she had eaten sparrow-pie with mr. Newman to hold the basket for her By this time mrs. Ducksacre was come down the stairs screaming Weena at the top of her voice the whole way And out they ran boy and all to search for her while three or four urchins came in without medium of exchange And filled cap mouth and pocket One brat was caught upon their return and tied up for the day in an empty potato sack and exposed behind the counter to universal execration in which position he took such note of manner and custom time and place that it was never safe for the ducksacre firm to dine together afterwards meanwhile that little black wiener responsive and responsible to none except her master pursued the even tenor of her way Nosing the ground and asking many a question of the posts as far as the cram-jam terminus at least three miles from Mortimer Street The sharp little gate clerk animated with railway love of privacy ran out and clapped his hands and shouted Ho at Wena!" but she only buttoned her tail down and cut across the compound as for the stone he threw at her she caught it up in her mouth as it rolled and carried it on to her master there was Craddock in the thick of it standing on a narrow pile of pig-iron one of his cheap Fortalices his book was in his hand and he was entering as fast as he could all the needful particulars of a goods-train sliding past him Creak and squeak and puff and shriek. Oh what a scene thought Wena, and the rattle of the ghostly chain and the rushing about and the roaring She lost her presence of mind in a moment. She always had been such a nervous dog she tightened her tail convulsively and dropped her ears while her eyes came forth and glancing at the horrors on every side she fled for dear life from the evil to come the faster she fled the more they closed round her she had not espied her master yet she could not find the way back again she was terrified out of all memory and a host of frightful genii more sooty than cockitus and riding hideous monsters were yelling at her on every side clapping black hands and hooting the dog on the derby course when the race rushes round the corner was in a position of glory and safety compared to poor weena's now already the tip of her tail was crushed already one pretty paw was broken for she had bolted in and out through the trains truck bottoms wheels and driving wheels oh you cowards to yell at her with black death grating and grinding upon her soft silky back At last she gave in altogether. They had hunted her to her grave who may contend with destiny She lay down under a moving coal train and resigned herself to die But first she must ask for sympathy although so unlikely to get it She looked once more at her wounded foot and shivered and sobbed with the agony And Then gave vent to one long low cry to ask if no one loved a poor dog there Craddock heard it and started so that it was nearly all up with him, too Thoroughly he knew the cry wherein she had wailed for Clayton He flung down his book and dashed to the place and there he saw Wiener and she saw him She began to try to limp to him, but he held up his hand to stop her Disabled as she was she was sure to be caught by the wheel Could she stay there and let the train pass her no At its tail was an empty horse box almost scraping the ground perfectly certain to crush her Crying down down my poor darling he ran down the train which was traveling seven or eight miles an hour Seized the side of a truck and leaped at the risk of his life upon the fender in front of the horse box then he got astride of the coupling chain and kept his right hand low to the ground to snatch her up ere the crusher came. Knowing where she was, he caught her by the neck the instant the truck disclosed her and, with the strong swing, heaved her up into it. But he lost his balance in doing it and fell sideways with his head on the other coupling chain. Stunned by the blow, he lay there, only clinging by his right calf to the chain he had sat astride upon the first jerk of either chain the first swing of either carriage and he must be ground to powder Luckily for him and for Amy Morshead was not gone home yet seeing more to do than usual Missing his mate from the proper place He had run up in terror to look for him when a man in a truck who had vainly been shouting to stop the coal trains engine pointed and screamed to him where and what he was doing Moore's head jumped on the heap of pig-iron and sideways thence on the board of the truck just passing as dangerous a leap as well could be But luckily that truck was empty He jumped into the truck a shallow one where poor Wena lay quite paralyzed and Stooping over the back with both arms. He got hold of Craddock's collar Then with a mighty effort he jerked him upon the tailboard and lugged him in and bent over him Wounded wena crawled up and begged to have her poor foot looked at. Then, obtaining no notice at all, she felt that Cradock must be killed and dead, just as Clayton had been. Upon this conclusion, she fetched such a howl, though it shook her sore tail to do it, that the engine driver actually looked round and the train was stopped. Hereupon, let me offer a suggestion. Everybody now is allowed to do so, though nobody ever takes it. My suggestion is that no man should be allowed to drive an engine without having served a 12 months apprenticeship as an omnibus conductor I don't mean to say it would improve his morals probably rather otherwise But it would teach him the habit of looking round it would let him know that there really is more than one quarter of the heavens at present all engine drivers seem afraid of being turned into pillars of salt so they fix themselves like pillars of stone and stare at chineyes oma through their square glass spectacles when one of the railway by julie who are on the whole very good sort of fellows and deserve their christmas boxes came home in the cab with craddock and Wena at the expense of the company which was boasted of next board day when one of them came home with cradd for Mooreshead had double work again polly ducksacre went into strong hysterics and it required two married men and a boy to get her out of the potato bin it was all up with our that night the overwork of brain and muscle the presence of mind required all the time when his mind was especially absent the impossibility of thinking out any of his trains of ideas when a train of trucks was upon him the native indignation of a man at knowing that his blood was meant to ebb down a railway sewer and a new broom will sweep him clean all these worries and wraths together cogging into the mill-wheel of cares already grinding had made such a mill-clack in his head near the left temple where the thump was that he could only roll on his narrow bed at imminent risk of a floor bump then the cold long harbouring struck into his heart and reins, and he knew not that dr tink came and was learned and diagnostic upon him nor even that polly ducksacre took his feet out of bed and rubbed them until her wrists gave way and then half ashamed of her womanhood sneaked away and cried over wiener wieners foot was put into splinters wieners tail was stipticized but no skill could save her master from a furious brain-fever End of chapter 10